This is DZFE's Maestro Filipino, a focus for music with a connection to home. For this edition, I'm Daniel. Where does the time go? Apparently it has been two years since mezzo-soprano Michelle Mariposa last joined us on the program when she talked about her send-off recital, Invitation to Voyage, shortly before leaving for the Beenan School of Music in Chicago, Illinois. Just last month, she completed her master's degree with a recital, L'Amour, L'Amour, an exploration of love and death. Interestingly, that performance has roots stretching back quite a ways, even preceding Invitation to Voyage, and caps not only her studies at Beenan, but also her experiences the past few years. Mariposa joins us to trace back the origins of L'Amour, L'Amour, and share the path that now lies before her. Of course, she also shares some of the music she performed, but first, our interview. Here is mezzo-soprano Michelle Mariposa. Thank you for joining us on Maestro Filipino. The two years that you've been there, they've they've gone by. They've gone by. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> by very fast. <laughs> yeah, you just concluded your studies at Beenan. So, uh, what was it like? Maybe what are some of the more important or more influential things you've learned there? I chose to attend Beenan really because of my teacher there, Stephen Smith, and I would say that my work with him has really expanded the range of what I thought I could do. I thought I was boxed into this type of mezzo, but he showed me that if you sing with such vulnerability, if you trust your voice and you just be generous with who you are, your singing world will expand. And I did feel that. I felt like my world, my repertoire was so much less limited after studying with Steve. And it has helped me become a more generous singer and artist overall. And also what I really valued about my time at Northwestern was that I was able to do productions. Some where I had bigger roles, some where I had smaller roles. But it's nice to get a taste of how does a production work? How does an opera come together? Working with colleagues and with professional directors as well. Because the opera director at Northwestern was also a singer and he's a professional director. And it's just wonderful being able to experience what it is it like working with such a person. And of course, like working with the coaches at Northwestern. I found that working with a vocal coach is something that I didn't experience in the Philippines. But it's so integral in learning and being an opera singer, being a singer period in the U.S., And so it's really helpful to have a different set of ears to work on style, interpretation, things like that. So Northwestern has given me a preview of that in a very positive environment. One of the things that you learned from your teacher is vulnerability. What did you mean by that? Mm-hmm. So my teacher's singing philosophy is that you pour yourself out like wine, like in the Bible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. He's a Christian, so there's that. Um, so when you pour out wine, you don't really measure at times, right? It just gushes out of you. And 
you just have to allow yourself to be poured out. Poured out meaning generously, but also not spit out, like with force. So just really delivering who you are without holding back, without apologizing is something that he's taught me because I would say I was quite confident in general, but I had a lot of self-limiting ideas and Steve just taught me to just sing, sing everything, sing with intent, but to just really sing. Can you give us a few examples of what you described as some of your limiting ideas? Mm, Like I can't sing high notes softly. One technical thing that has baffled me over the years and just working through that technique, working through that mindset. In my recital, I had a passage where I had to sing a clean high G pianissimo. And so working through that was allowing myself to be vulnerable that that sound may or may not come out. But if I trust that my vowel is right, I am well aligned, my breath is free and not forced, that high G will come out pianissimo in pitch and resonant. So like practical thing, singing a high note soft. (laughs) Vulnerability allows you to do that. Interesting. So that's what he meant by trusting your voice. Mm -hmm. And really just not thinking about how you will sound because I'm still adjusting to the fact that I will never truly know how I sound, especially in the back of a room. A recording won't really capture it unless like my ear can somehow be there while I'm on stage. So yeah, just trusting that you are singing, you are pouring yourself out, and you are just being truthful to who you are and to your voice. Yeah. (laughs) I think you got what you came there for. (laughs) I think so too. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, quite recently, you did your graduation recital, L'Amour, L'Amour. So uh, where did this come from? (laughs) It came from a more lighthearted idea. So I was working on Wagner's Weisendonk Leader because one of my coaches suggested that I have it in my pocket in case an orchestra needs a soloist for that work. So I was working on it and I was walking home thinking about how two movements from the Weisendonk Leader, Träume and Im Treibhaus, served as studies for Tristan und Isolde, like Wagner's great opera. And then walking home, it was spring and the birds were chirping. I was just like, oh, that sounds so nice. And then I made the connection, ooh, birds chirping. Messiaen loved bird calls, loved bird songs. He was obsessed. And oh my goodness, Messiaen has a set of works inspired by the Tristan myth. And I remembered how a few years back, I wanted to study Harawi, which is one of those works inspired by the Tristan myth, just because early 20th century music is my special place. I love that era. I remember my first recital at the University of the Philippines. I was crazy enough to do Schoenberg's Book of Hanging Gardens and how after that I wanted to follow it up with maybe some Messiaen. And now I was like, it may be the right time for me vocally, my technique, maturity-wise to finally tackle that work. But it's a 50-minute work and I didn't want my whole recital to just be Messiaen, so I just did selections. And just looking at the theme of Messiaen, it's love and death. And I realized that during COVID, I had been deprived of a lot of opportunities to really make art. Online was fine, but really, I hadn't had the chance to small things over during that time when we were dealing with a lot of deaths. Like my, my dad passed away during COVID times. And I thought, why not? explore musical treatments on such a thing as death, especially since I already wanted to do Messiaen's Harawi, which 
looks at love fulfilled in death. So that that idea for a theme came about to maybe also as a way to desanitize my experience of death because my dad died during COVID. I describe it as a sanitized way of death and grieving because we weren't able to have a wake. I wasn't able to be with my family that time because COVID was just very new. And so this was my way of exploring or I don't want to say romanticizing, but just seeing and exploring how death inspired art and how death inspires my art as well, because I have dealt with it in such a way that I never would have expected to deal with as an artist, especially during COVID. It was also my way of reclaiming that experience and maybe a way of grieving, but also a way of looking at the beauty in something as mysterious and transcendent as death. A bit morbid, but... No, no, this is... Yeah. I mean, I think this is pretty cathartic. Definitely, definitely cathartic, yeah. And the process of coming up with a theme, it really is just how art should work. A lot of people think art is spontaneous. It can be, but that spontaneity is founded on uh, a lot of stuff coming in, a lot of input, years of reading and gathering resources, years of experience. Exactly. Then, then one day you're walking, you hear the birds sing, and that's it. <laughs> just make these connections, and yeah. it falls into place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, how very appropriate that it's a graduation recital, so it really marks a significant part in your life. Yeah. Now, before we get to the Messia, which is the heart of, of the recital. Yeah, the recital, yeah. Uh, you also did Respigis il Tramonto and some Bach. Can you tell us about these works and how they tie into the theme of this performance? Respigis il Tramonto is another dream piece that I've wanted to do for years now. And it also really falls into the love-death theme, except I feel like the Respigi, the poetry, talks more about a long-awaited peace in death so the poem that Respighi sets is an Italian translation of a poem by Shelley, the English poet. And Shelley was obsessed with the idea of his own death and how his lover would survive or deal with his own death. And so this poem shows two lovers walking and the, the man says, oh, we missed the sunset. Let's come back here tomorrow to see it. But when they wake up, the man is gone. And the rest of the poem describes how the woman becomes a living shell and just longs for death so that she can write on her epitaph piece. And so I thought that this would be such a good counterpoint to the Messiaen, which is more ecstatic about the idea of passionate love reaching its fulfillment in death. This is another way of looking at it, where love is interrupted by death, but in death, one can look forward to long-awaited peace. So just the ecstatic nature of Harawi and then the somber nature of Il Tramonto is something that I felt worked very well. And I felt that to tie it together as a Christian who has always viewed death in light of one's relationship with God, I thought Bachsi Habigun would be a perfect conclusion. So I actually ended with a Bach, which is kind of interesting because people always start with early music. People always start with Bach, with Handel. They never think of ending a recital with Bach. But I chose to end it that way as a conclusion that when we think about it, when we think about death in light of religion, in light of one's relationship with Christ, it's something to be looked forward to. It's a conclusion and a beginning, is what Ich habe genug relays to its listeners. 
That's why I thought of tying together the program, especially with the last movement. Ich freue mich auf meinen Tod. I actually look forward to my death. So just a fun thing conceptually and also just tying together that these are some of the works I've been wanting to sing for a very long time.
And of course, the Messian. Where do we begin? There's a lot of stuff to say about this. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe what drew you to this piece in the first place? So when I was taking a class on 20th century music at the University of the Philippines, of course, Messian was one of the staple composers. And I was just fascinated with how he wrote both his poetry and his music and how enmeshed his writing would be and at the same time, how unique the sound world he created was. For example, with Harawi, what drew me to the piece first was the poetry that Messiah wrote himself. And what fascinated me was how he interspersed the myth of Tristan and Isolde with Peruvian mythology, Quechua mythology. So as if like the counterpoint between Tristan and Isolde is a Celtic myth with the counterpoint of that myth with Peruvian themes just made everything more mystical. And that aspect of Messian's writing just captured me. Learning about how he wrote the music, it's interesting because when you listen to Harawi, for me, granted, I am more familiar with music of that era, for me, it communicated incredibly well. Like the harmonies just enriched whatever the poetry was saying. And I feel like Messian's mastery of text setting, especially setting his own texts, really spoke to me such that I wanted to dive into the challenge of communicating that. Excellent, excellent. And one of the curious things about this is it uses some Quechua words. Yeah, uh, like, well, not a word, but Pirucha is a Peruvian or Quechua name for a woman. Kachi Kachi, grasshoppers. It's interesting because among my string players for uh, the Respighi and the Bach, my violist is from Argentina. And so after listening to our performance of Harawi, he was like, oh, I recognize some words. <laughs> and I was like, yes, <laughs> because... It's funny you should say that. <laughs> he also drew from uh, Peruvian and Quechua ideas and mythology. It's a coming together of many different things. Uh, it's also very symbolic. So how did you go about bringing together the music, the text, and bringing it out? I was very academic about it. I really read up on Messiaen, on his harmonic and melodic styles of writing, his additive rhythms, and also educated myself more on surrealism. Because although Messiaen never said that he was surrealist, his poetry is for sure inspired by the stream of consciousness and the dream state of reality that surrealism expounded on. And so I read up a lot about surrealism and also looked up how Messiah used seemingly random imageries 
and how they actually symbolize some things. Like, for example, the title of the first piece, La Ville qui dormait, The Sleeping City, references a dream world, the quietness of night, a green dove, a bright pearl, sky, time, water, they all symbolize something significant in surrealism. For example, a green dove, it symbolizes hope, things like that. And so it was very academic work to dive into the poetry. And then preparing myself for the music, I was reading up a lot of published analyses on Messiaen's writing. So for example, how Messiaen used seven different scales. I practiced those scales. <laughs> or for example, identifying where Messiaen uses these additive circular rhythms so that I get them in my body. Like for example, the 11th movement. It's an additive non-circular rhythm. And it's just like repeated that additive rhythm not intuitive, but it's always repeated. So once I have those rhythms and those scales and modes in my brain and in my body, it became much easier for me to learn the music. So it's really academic and groundwork. Of course, like working a lot with my amazing pianist who was equally as obsessed with the piece as I was. <laughs> I find that, for example, if I will ever do another cycle by Messia, it will be a totally different study. Me and my pianist, now, as a postlude, this does mark the end of your master's degree. What lies ahead? Right now, you're in Santa Fe. Uh, so right where are you going? Santa Fe. Mm -hmm. I'm an apprentice artist. So I'm like, it's a lot of chorus work. And I'm also covering a small role in a reimagined version of Monteverdi's L'Orfeo, which is very exciting. It has a new orchestration by Paul Muli. Yeah. And then... After Santa Fe, I fly back to Chicago. I'll do a lot more early music stuff. I'll be working with the Haymarket Opera, an opera company based in Chicago that specializes in early and almost unknown works. So the work I'll be in is Francesca Catini's La Liberazione. Exciting mm -hmm. things. Yeah, lots and of great after stuff. After that, I start a two-year residency with the Chicago Opera Theater, an opera company that does new and underperformed works. So the two extremes, early music and new music, kind of like basically what I've been doing in the Philippines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do want to come back home. I think I want to hopefully teach at the collegiate level, but also I want to exhaust all my opportunities to perform and maybe explore a career in opera here and abroad as well. So while I'm in my performing prime, like hopefully explore, travel the world. Like early this year, I was able to fly to Taiwan with the UP Symphony Orchestra. And it was like an amazing experience and realizing that everywhere in the world, there's an audience for classical music. So I really want to tap into as many audience groups as I can as well. <laughs>
Listening to Ottorino Respighi's Il Tramonto. Our performers, mezzo soprano Michelle Mariposa, violinists Marian Mayuga and Ran Huo, violist Facundo Ortega, and cellist Ezra Escobar. Earlier, we heard Mariposa and pianist Chuck Foster in La Mot de Peruchka and L'Escalier Redi, Justa du Soleil, from Olivier Messiaen's Arawi.
Also joining them to perform Bach was oboist James Kim. All the recordings we heard come from Mariposa's master's recital, L'Amour, L'Amour, which happened last May 14 at the Gavin Recital Hall, Beanan School of Music, Northwestern University in Chicago, Illinois. You can find updates from Mariposa on her Facebook page, Michelle Mariposa Mezzo-Soprano, and more of her recordings on her YouTube channel, Michelle Mariposa. That is all for this Maestro Filipino, DZFE's weekly feature for fine music in our locale. Each episode airs Saturday at 12 noon, the following Sunday, 12 midnight, and lastly, the next Thursday at 8 in the evening. Maestro Filipino episodes are uploaded every week on our SoundCloud and Spotify channels. Once more, this is Daniel, and thank you for listening.